0: Friends, as I talked about last week, we wait a lot in life. Remember, we don't get to choose whether or even how long we wait, but we do get to make a really crucial choice. We do get to choose how we wait. We wait because we're human, but how we wait determines whether we flourish or fail as human persons. And from that uh, reality of waiting arises another question, what are we waiting for? You see, we never just wait. Whenever you wait, you're always waiting for something. You're waiting for uh, the the person uh, ahead of you in the at the stoplight to move so that you can move. You're waiting for, uh, maybe right now you're waiting for a delicious Knights of Columbus taco after Mass, right? Uh, or maybe you're waiting for a donut if you're a kid after Mass, if you're good. Uh, maybe you're waiting for those types of things. Whenever we wait, we're... Uh, we're always waiting for something. Even if the object of our waiting is more dimly defined and maybe we couldn't say, you know, it's, it's this exact thing or this exact uh, circumstance, we're always waiting for something. Sometimes we wait for things that we don't want to happen, right? That's called unwilling waiting, and it corresponds to the passion of fear. When we're waiting for something to happen that we don't want to happen, that's called fear. If it happens that we seemingly cannot escape what we fear we, also fear, we also feel the passion of despair, right? And sometimes we wait for things, more often than not, hopefully, we wait for things that we want to happen. This willing waiting corresponds to the passion of desire, right? When you think of something that you want, when you think of the donut right now, especially the donut with sprinkles, you desire the donut, right? It's there, you desire it, think. Insert your favorite dessert here. Uh, imagine it's right here. You would desire it, right? You want the, the thing. And if you think that you can achieve that thing, if you think it's actually possible that you'll actually get the thing that you want, you feel hopeful about it, right? You feel this passion of hope. Both fear and desire and uh, despair and hope have to do with future possible objects, right? Future things. Fears objects are evils, undesirable to me, and desires objects are things which are good and desirable, uh, uh, and desirable to me. These two passions and hope and despair that flow from them have an impact, a serious impact on how we live our life, don't they, right? So when we're, uh, <clears throat> and in that vein, we return to that question, what are we waiting for? What type of thing are we waiting for? When I ask that question, I'm not asking, like, what are you waiting for right now uh, in this exact moment? Like, but what are we waiting for in a more general sense? What are we waiting for not just in the day-to-day or week-to-week, but on the scale of our lives? Because we wait because we're human. And so we have to ask that question What are we waiting for in life? What do we long for is another way to put that question to us. This, of course, has everything to do with what we believe. What we believe is our purpose in life. Another way we could understand it is to ask the question, what is the highest good for which I long? As human beings, we answer that question either reflectively or without reflection we answer that question every day that we live even if we were to say that there's no purpose to life that life is all meaningless that very creed proposes for us a path to follow we can't help but find meaning we can't help but answer the question of what are we waiting for we have to have some sort of worldview we can live without many different things in our lives. Uh, In fact, we can live with a lot less than what we have, but we cannot live without a worldview. It's impossible. We all have a way that we look at the world. And our personal answer to this question, on the scale of our life, becomes evident in our actions. If you want to know what you're living for, look at your calendar and your budget. What are you living for? What are the actions you take on a daily basis? What are you living for? What are you hoping for? What are you waiting for? And there's many ways we could answer this question. In fact, um, one of the things that has emerged in the, in the 20th century uh, kind of is is the question of whether we can find the answer to this question or whether there is actually an answer to this question of meaning. You know, Many people have proposed different meanings for life, and many people maybe unreflectively accept different meanings for their life. Um, you know, We can decide to live for honor. We can decide to live for riches or fame or for pleasure. We could even uh, live for politics or job success. We could live for our families and for our friends. Yet those things will eventually fade away. Think about it. Every one of those things and some, at some point fades away. So they seem not to be what we most deeply desire. For we all recognize deep within ourselves a desire for something which eternally remains. We want to have the good. And as I pointed out last week, we want to have it right now. But we also want to have it forever. We want to have the good and we want to have it forever. So is it possible to wait for something that will not fade? Is there such an object? Is it possible to live for something with real meaning? The history of 20th century philosophy actually uh, started asking that question. Is is there actual meaning? The rise of people like Nietzsche and Sartre. suggested they suggested that there was no real meaning to life and we kind of live in a cultural milieu that that is that's based upon those that that presumption um but our faith brothers and sisters the faith that we profess each week in the creed proposes that there is indeed an answer to this question of meaning in our lives in fact There's a superabundant answer. In fact, there is one for whom we wait. You know, in Advent, we look back in order to look forward. We look back to see how people waited well in the past in order to understand how we are to wait in the future. So what are, who does faith have to say about the object of our waiting? In the first reading, God promises comfort to his people. But if you read closely, you recognize that it's not merely pleasure or just like the the acceptance of comfort. What he actually promises is that he will shepherd his people. He will be with them. St. Peter, uh, in his second letter today, he talks about how we await a new heavens and a new earth. And heaven is communion with the Lord. We're made for heaven. We're made for communion with the Lord. That's what St. Peter reminds us. And John the Baptist promises that one greater than himself is coming. He promises that the Messiah is to come. That God will dwell with his people. All three of those things point to this reality that the thing that faith proposes as the object of our desire, the deepest desire of our heart, is God himself. The Christian answer to the object of our life's waiting is that we are waiting for God. We are waiting for communion with God because He has made made us for Himself. Jesus, in the words of St. John Paul II, is the answer to the question which is posed by every human life. We call waiting for God because He's trustworthy the theological virtue of hope. Hope is in this sense, is to be distinguished from the mere passion because it's a firm resolve, it's a choice of the will to trust God over and over again. It springs from faith, but it's concerned with uh, our attainment of heaven, attainment of eternal communion with God. So it's distinguishable from faith. Hope is the theological virtue by which we desire the kingdom of heaven and eternal life as our happiness, placing our trust in Christ's promises and relying not on our own strength, but on the grace of the Holy Spirit. That's how the Catechism of the Catholic Church talks about hope. Hope follows from faith because its object, God and his promises, are known through faith. I believe in the resurrection of the body, right? We say it at uh, at Mass every, uh, in the life of the world to come. We say it at Mass every time we profess the Creed. So it's an object of our faith, but then we place our hope in it. And hope changes the way that we live. Hope is faith extended through time. It's the virtue that allows us to wait well when things are extremely difficult in our lives. Hope has for its object only what is good, what is future and what affects us. We hope in God. Because we place our trust in him through faith. He is the one who has made the promise of a heavenly reward for those who follow him. And we hope for God. He's the that him by which we hope. And he's the object of our hope. What are we waiting for? We're waiting for God. We're waiting for God. And hope changes the way we live then day by day. It affects, or it ought to affect, the way that we act on a daily basis. And I I think that sometimes we forget how powerful uh, placing our hope in in God can be, right? What a difference hope makes in our lives as we wait. I want to share the story of a saint to kind of illustrate this point. There was a a woman born in 1869 in Darfur in Sudan. Her name was Bakita. Um, And she actually didn't know the date of her birth because at the age of nine, she was kidnapped by slave slave traders. Um, She was repeatedly beaten until she bled. And she was sold five times in the slave markets in uh, Sudan. She eventually found herself working for, uh, working in the home, working as a slave for the mother and uh, wife of a general who was horrifically cruel to her, who beat her repeatedly to the point that throughout her entire life, she bore the scars from these floggings. She bore 144 scars for the rest of her life because she was beaten so severely. In 1882, she was brought by an Italian merchant. Uh, to Italy uh, as a gift for, uh, it's so horrible to even say that, as a gift for this Italian consul, uh, Castillo Legani. And she was eventually set free. Uh, There was a movement for abolition in Italy at that time. And she began to um, encounter Christ, she encountered Christianity. And after the terrifying masters that she, who had owned her up to that point, Bakita came to know a totally different kind of master. In the Venetian dialect that she was learning, she called him Peron, right? Um, master, for the living God, the God of Jesus Christ. Up to that point, she'd only known masters who at best had treated her as a useful slave. Um, now she heard, though, That there was a master above all masters, the Lord of lords, and that Lord is good. That Lord was goodness in person. She came to know that that Lord even knew her, and that he had created her, and that he actually loved her. She too was loved, and by none other than the supreme master before whom all other masters are themselves no more than lowly servants. She was known and loved and awaited. What is more, that master had himself accepted the destiny of being flogged. And now he was waiting for her at the father's right hand. She had hope, brothers and sisters. And this is how she, and she uh, articulated her hope. She said this. This is a quote from her. I am definitively loved. And whatever happens to me, I am awaited by this love. And so my life is good. Let me repeat that. I am definitively loved. And whatever happens to me, I am awaited by this love. And so my life is good. That is what Christian hope looks like, brothers and sisters. And it changes the way that we live our lives. The, the story of Josephine baquita uh, demonstrates the power of hope. Our faith leads us to trust God and through it we come to hope in his promises. Hope then changes the way that we wait. You see, Josephine Baquita uh, was eventually baptized, she was confirmed, she took the name Josephine uh, as she entered religious life, um, and she realized that what she had received, she had to share with others. We're going to talk about that more in a second. So how can we strengthen our hope, though, brothers and sisters? How, what's the, if hope is so important, how can we strengthen it? Well, once again, we can ask for Hope. In your bulletins this week, you're going to find uh, an act of hope. And I encourage you to pray that act of hope on a regular basis. As the act of hope uh, indicates, we can also strengthen our hope by contemplating heaven, by thinking about heaven, thinking about the fact that we're heavenly hobos, that we're made for heaven, and that God calls us to communion with himself. Um, That strengthens our hope. Reading uh, awesome literature that, that calls calls forth our desire for, for heaven or, or, or encountering beautiful art that makes us think of heaven. Um, these things can be moments where our hope is strengthened. All, our hope is also strengthened by what we do each Sunday when we come here. When we come here to the liturgy, we receive a foretaste of the promise uh, which we await, right? From this altar, you receive Jesus, brothers and sisters, That's what heaven is. Heaven is communion with Jesus. So this is a foretaste of the heavenly glory to which you're called. Objectively speaking, whether you feel like it or not today, objectively speaking, you get a foretaste of heaven whenever you come to the liturgy. That's why we do all these, uh, that's why I'm wearing funny things, right? And uh, and it's a little bit strange, like all, all of that kind of stuff. It's to help us remember heaven. To help us remember heaven, that we are not made just for this earth, but for heaven. Now finally, I think one of the most powerful ways that we can grow in hope is by sharing uh, the reason for our hope. We see this with St. Peter uh, in his second letter. It's basically, he's giving a reason for his hope over and over again. And actually, the Gospel of Mark that we read from today is most likely... a. um, Peter's version of the gospel that was given to Mark to write down. And that's a reason, his reason for the hope. He shared that with other people. You know, Josephine Bakita found that she could not keep what had happened to her, to herself. She realized that the liberation that she experienced, the redemption that she experienced, had to be shared. It demanded to be shared. And her hope grew because of this. To the point that um, she was so in love with God so in love with God and hoped in him so much that she desired the conversion even of of those who had persecuted her. This is a quote from her. She said, If I were to meet the men who abducted me or even who tortured me, I would kneel and kiss their hands. For if if that had not happened, I would not be a Christian today. Her life had been so radically changed by encountering Jesus and following him and believing in his promises, hoping in his promises that she was able to forgive her enemies. That changes the way that we live. And she desired to share that faith with others. You know, one way you can share um, the faith with others, just a really simple way uh, that we can offer right now, uh, is, is to invite people uh, to come with you. Right to come with you, particularly maybe to Christmas Mass. At the back of the church, on the little uh, table to the left, there are a bunch of cards, and they have uh, a cool little picture of the Nativity scene on them, and uh, they have all the mass times for Christmas and New Year's Mass and all that kind of stuff. I want to encourage you to take one or two or ten of those cards, however many you want. I got plenty of them, and. To literally go to people that you know. Maybe it's people that haven't come to Mass in a while. But maybe it's just your neighbors. Maybe it's a person down the road. And to give them one of those cards and say, Hey, I would love for you to come come with us to Mass. Um, which one would you like to go to? Oh, we'll go to that one. right? What time works for you? Uh, because you're giving people a reason for your hope. You're sharing with them the good news of of. of Jesus Christ, who came and who died and who rose again for them. Just by a simple act, you can open a conversation, right? Um, One of the things that we're going to notice over the course of this year as we read from the Gospel of Mark in the liturgy is how Mark is just shortened to the point. It doesn't take a lot to share the Gospel, right? The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's the reason for your hope, right there, brothers and sisters. When we know we're loved, it changes everything. And when we know we're awaited, It changes everything. You have a God who loves you and who awaits you and who desires your heart. Place your trust in him. Believe in him and hope in him and then share the reason for your hope.